Welcome back to another episode of Equity Matters. This is your host, it's JB3. First, I want to say thank you to all the people out there who've been rocking with me, sharing the first few episodes, those who continue to send me words of encouragement and motivation. It really helps on those days where I feel like I am not sure exactly what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. So it's it's definitely fortunate to have people out there who remind me why I'm in this space. I also want to give a shout out to all the followers out there on our Equity Matters podcast Instagram page. Continue to leave those comments, share the message of what you all are doing, and really help to amplify what it means to advance equity, especially in our current climate. And today, I want to talk about a relationship between my skill set and my passion that I've just unearthed over the last few years. And depending on the day, the skill set and the passion may switch, but Today, I'll be marrying the idea of facilitation and their ground rules as it relates to community engagement. You'd actually be surprised that something that comes so naturally in facilitation is often lacking when it comes to how we approach working with communities. So let's let's take a step back and describe what is facilitation and the definition is quite simple and I love it for that reason. It means to make easy or to ease a process. And as a facilitator, you are not responsible for doing the work of a group or doing the work for a group, but you really guide the participants toward specific outcomes. In many cases, that may mean trying to get from point A, where we are currently, to point B, where point B may not be clearly be defined and as the facilitator you create your process to get there now i've been a facilitator for small community groups um, universities working on strategic plans my day-to-day work i mean hell family meetings there's a ton of different methods out there and tools that you can adopt to facilitate for all of you out there looking to be entrepreneurs facilitation is a wonderful lucrative side hustle it showed me so much and it's really taken me across the nation it's an invaluable skill that you can use in just about any setting but for me specifically facilitation introduced me to this idea of power and digging a little deeper what power looks like in a room what does positional power look like in a space down really to the detail of where people will sit in the room, you know, who's talking the most, who's kind of standoffish. And it also kind of gives you an idea of who to look to when we're talking about the actual ability to affect change. So next time you're in a meeting or you're, you're in a space with other folks, pay attention to who is sitting where and who's doing the most talking. There's actually studies out there on where people sit and their impact on the meeting. But at the end of the day though, when you're facilitating, you want to be able to walk away from a group feeling like they can flourish, that they've made a decision, they've reached a conclusion. I recall facilitating for a regional health collaborative and I actually got a high five afterwards. And the gentleman mentioned how we would have never got there if we just met by ourselves. All of your meetings won't end like that. That was actually a very rare occasion. In many cases, your meeting 
ends because you're at the last minute and you just need people to make a decision. I want to say, I want to reflect on the first time I facilitated a meeting because I felt confident. I felt bold. I was ready. And luckily it was with people I trust. And for the most part, they were forgiving. I was actually leading the strategic planning session for my fraternity. Yo to the noobs. And in leading that strategic planning session, I had prepared. I mean, that's what facilitation is all about. You, I had this great presentation. I pulled together all my data, both qualitative and quantitative. And I had a strong, detailed agenda. I'm talking down to the minute to where I'm going to cover this part. The president's going to cover this part. Then we're going to take a break. We're going to transition into some breakout sessions. It's going to be great. So after we did the icebreaker, everything fell apart. And this is one of those things that's kind of like a wedding where when things go wrong and no one else will notice but you, I noticed very quickly that I could not get people to cooperate. People were talking over each other. And no matter how prepared I was, I left out a key detail and what I see now as a very novice mistake. I did not take the time to establish the ground rules. So we were trying to have a meeting with no expectations of how we will function. And therefore, it led to dysfunction. Now, ground rules or community agreements, as some folks like to call it, determine the rules that participants should follow in the meeting. They also really set the precedent for the expectation in our shared space. So how are we going to act? Well, in a meeting with no rules, you're going to act a plum fool. I've seen it. You can think of it sort of like when you were growing up, or maybe it was just me growing up. Maybe there were things that you could get away with at your grandmother's house that you couldn't at home, or vice versa. So, for example, if I was sick, I knew at my grandma's house, I was staying in the bed all day, there's no television, I'm only eating crackers, I might sip some ginger ale. And let me tell you, even getting the approval to stay home required an act of Congress. But at least at home, I could turn on the TV. Or growing up, you know, you're walking into the store and your mom tells you, don't ask for nothing, don't reach for nothing because you ain't getting nothing. Those are ground rules. These are the norms that you follow for how you behave in specific spaces. And the point that's clear about that is those ground rules are established early on. It's not something that you can adopt later. It has to be a precedent for the behaviors to follow. And for me, ground rules are less about the procedural rules. We clearly need to start and end on time. We need to put phones on vibrate. I'm more interested in the abstract agreements that ensure everyone's voice is heard and participants are respected. When I'm preparing to facilitate, I often think of who's gonna be in the meeting. What are we trying to accomplish? What are some of the known and unknown barriers that have presented themselves in the work? And I actually draft my ground rules from that. So I do have a list more so of the ground rules that I like to use. But some of my go to's are this idea of trying on, you know, you, you try on new ideas. If it's your first time ever hearing you're like what? Well, maybe that that does fit here. Let me let me think about it for a little while longer. I also like to use listen to understand not to respond. I'm sure my wife would have 
different idea about this, but I try to make sure that in these spaces, we're listening first to understand what the people around us are saying, not to immediately formulate a response to negate or combat what they're putting into the space. In the last one, a favorite of mine is using both and thinking. So this idea that two things can be right at the same time. Now, they sound fluffy, but they actually have a lot of weight to them. Now, you're probably wondering, why am I talking about this? This isn't about facilitation. This is about equity. Equity matters, right, James? Yes, yes. But when you think about ground rules, think about how it shows up in your practice before you force it on someone else. Hmm. That's the thought. There's actually this gospel song by a group called the Williams Brothers, and it's called Sweep Around. And they say, sweep around your own front door before you try to sweep around mine. Now, if you're in need of a laugh, please check out their music video. But the point here is have an understanding of what you're bringing to the space in a collaborative, in a working group, in a facilitated space before you get there. Because it's going to make a difference if you're bringing that as a principle in the way that you function, as opposed to an expectation that has not been set. Thinking about ground rules, you, you have to consider how do these ground rules align when I'm working with a client or working in the community for that matter, or trying to develop some form of policy. I've actually come to realize the same reason why meetings can be highly productive or extremely frustrating are the same as when we create partnerships or we're working with clients to accomplish a goal. Participants of productive meetings and fruitful collaborations have an understanding of what is expected of them to best support the process. That is laid out with the ground rules. But we're, we wanna dig deeper. How does this all show up when you're in the trenches doing the work? So let's think back on the definition of facilitation. How do you make equity easier? Or how do you ease the process of equity in our spaces? Well, equity work requires communication, especially on broad, difficult subjects. It has community context. Our challenge as practitioners is to create open and productive discussions where people feel safe, where they can share their experiences. That's part one. Part two, those experiences have to be welcomed and embraced, especially when those voices and experiences are different from our own. That sounds a lot like the definition of diversity and well, that is completely intentional. Diversity and equity have this unique relationship. You know how they say, Faith without works is dead. Well, that's where I stand with diversity and equity. Diversity posits how we fix individuals from marginalized groups, but it doesn't get at the fact that we need to change the structures and the systems that create and perpetuate inequity in the first place. So the moment that we enter a space as the professional, right, the practitioner, it is immediately understood, or it should be, that we are guests in this space. In the same way that you don't just walk into somebody else's house and open up the refrigerator, you don't just assert yourself as the expert in the space. 
Sure, you spend a lot of money on degrees. Sure, you have a ton of experience. But we have to have some ground rules. And if there aren't some, we need to adopt them. And they need to be adopted with community. I want to offer up a few examples of ground rules to take with you. The first, be explicit. And I'm not talking about being raunchy or profane. I'm talking about being explicit when it comes to race and racism. We can't function in the same space using coded language. We can't be, we have to be comfortable enough to point out coded language when it occurs. You ever find yourself in a situation when you hear, yeah, we're talking about those thugs or people in the urban or inner city settings. When these words are simply used so often to describe black and brown communities. Or when you hear something about she's so bossy or she's so sassy and how it marginalizes ambitious women. Coded language is used against a group that threatens our own traditional power structures. You know, when you're predominantly white, male, heterosexual, cisgender and Christian. We have to work with community to understand how coded language has impacted their progress. And so now I want to offer you ground rule number two. We need to be prepared to attack the problem and not the person. It's easy for us to play the blame game. We as professionals are coming from a place of power and privilege, and I acknowledge my own in many cases. And we walk into community with our credentials and our degrees, more or less with a list of ailments and the ills and what we are going to do to solve it. Now, your brain innately tells you that you need to blame something. And in many cases, it comes off as someone. We need to focus on solving the task at hand by working with gratitude and understanding the isms that led us to this point. Many of the social problems that we see downstream are merely the result of some greater inequity upstream, which we identify as root causes. So when we just waltz into the project kickoff with all the things that our education has taught us, thinking that this is our big ticket and it falls flat, you know why. And worse off, one day that grant is going to run out and that project is going to end. How do you think community ownership is going to look if the first thing you did when you walked in was piss the community off? And the last one I want to leave you all with is this idea that discomfort is okay. Hey, you, I'm talking to you. Nine times out of 10, it is our own discomfort from thinking we have to always be right. When I first started reading affirmations, I learned to lean into my own discomfort. It was a sign of my own growth and progress. And it was valuable for me to become a better person. I'm telling you, this discomfort is really a prerequisite to becoming a better practitioner. We're constantly trying to maintain our level of comfort and increase it. But imagine what your tolerance looks like when you have to embrace opinions that challenge your own. Let's take a hard look at the facts that many of us have been privileged to advance through life without the obstacles of prejudice that many communities have faced. It's hard to talk about equity issues and to inspire actions that change behavior. It's, that's very clear. And so I want to call out an example where I recall sitting sitting on an interview panel for a position that I would have absolutely no interaction with. I wouldn't be responsible for reporting to them. They would not be reporting to me. We may never even cross paths. 
but I sat on the panel because I was the only African-American on staff. I was more than willing to serve, but after the interview process was over, I had to make it very clear that I am not a token for this particular entity. You all need to hire more black and brown people in leadership positions. And quite frankly, I haven't been invited back. But it was the fact that I understood systems needed to change and this not so shocking realization needed to be declared. If we were really looking to be sincere about advancing equity, especially as an organization, we needed to lean into our own discomfort. And I share in that experience because I am a part of a system that perpetuates inequity. And this is not just for the people who receive specific services. This is also for individuals who work for the system. And so it's important that we even hold up a mirror to ourselves and we acknowledge that there are things that we are doing that are not right. And when you sit for a moment, you start to feel that discomfort as a result of there have been things that we have done that have fallen short of the goal of equity. And so you can't hold on to that discomfort forever. At some points, you do need to acknowledge that you have done something wrong. And then you need to create strategies to eradicate this particular problem. In many ways, it reminds me of getting in trouble as a child where you've been called to the carpet and you have to face the things that you have done. And you don't feel good about it because you know that you've done something wrong. But you also at that moment have a choice to make on if you're going to now continue to do the things that you've done wrong in the past, especially now that evidence has been brought before you. Or do you change? Do you transform? Do you rise to the opportunity to exceed expectations and to advance equity and to ensure that people have a fair opportunity for whatever it is that they're thriving for. And that's another thing about ground rules. It's this idea that it's not only for facilitated spaces. These are not just for entering engagements with community, but these can also be principles that we adopt as professionals, as practitioners, when we want to demonstrate that we are equity informed. And yes, I'm coining that term, just as trauma-informed has become all the rave. I think that we need to be more equity-informed as we approach different groups with different intentions. Now, as we prepare to wrap up for today's episode, I want you to recall the three ground rules that I've shared with you. The first being be explicit, attack the problem, not the person, and to lean into your own discomfort. If you can find a way over the next few weeks to practice those things, to try on, if you will, those ground rules as equity principles of your own, let me know how it works out. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I'm looking forward to the next episode of Equity Matters. We've got some surprises in store, so stay posted, and as always, Equity Matters.